You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through chapter 9, verse 8. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you done with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him to a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he, said, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Um, Let's pray before we examine this text together. Father, Lord, we thank you for um, your word. Um, Would... The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and that you would uh, restrain the evil one who comes to distract us, to lead us astray. But Lord, would your word be um, just clear and to help us to be a people that you desire us to be. Would you lead us in this time? Speak, O Lord, as your people listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the movie The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Aragorn, one of the main characters, is the rightful heir of um, the land in Gondor. However, of course, in any good movie, there is a conflict or an issue. There is a looming darkness over Middle-earth. The powers and the forces of Sauron are, are drawing near, causing destruction and havoc all along the way. Aragorn is given the grand task of defending his home and defeating his enemy. He rallies the people. He allies with nations. And even when the odds are are against him, he displays a tremendous amount of leadership, strategic awareness, 
and unwavering confidence, resulting in the defeat of Sauron, reigning victory, ultimately freeing the people of Middle-earth from this dark power, restoring peace and prosperity. There is a looming darkness also in our world, a force that causes all sorts of brokenness and suffering. It causes us to be a people in many ways without hope, leaving us to wonder, is there any hope at all? And in our passage today, Matthew is trying to show us that we are indeed a people not without hope. We can have hope. We are a people with a great king who has come to claim his rightful place on his throne, having dominion over darkness. He frees his people. He frees you and I so that we might actually enjoy the true joys in life in knowing this king. In our sermon series thus far, we have explored Jesus' teaching and preaching to his people on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he teaches his disciples of what's this new kingdom that he is bringing in. He teaches them how they are going to live in this new kingdom as well. He speaks with much authority, but he also shows his authority. He heals the sick. He comes almost like a physician, bringing hope to those who need it. He even calms the storms, the cosmos know who he is. And even on the verge of death, he calms those storms, leaving the people on the boat wondering what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas would obey him. And in our text today, we begin to see the answer to these questions. In the face of evil looming in our world, a darkness that causes all sorts of suffering and brokenness, a suffering and brokenness that we have all experienced, and some of us are even experiencing today, experiencing right now, the people of Gondor find their deliverance through leadership in a king, king of Aragorn. And in our story, we see our Savior King delivering us, showing forth his authority and dominion, defeating this darkness. He saves us. And we, as citizens of this kingdom, experiences his deliverance. And I think in two ways that this passage is trying to tell us. He, he shows us that we are freed from the powers without, but also we are healed from the powers within. And those are the two things that we'll be looking at this morning. In our passage, it opens up with Jesus finally getting to his destination. He calms the storms in, in the Sea of Galilee, and he's confronted with two demon-possessed men. These individuals were oppressed by a force outside of them, demons. But we must ask the question, what are demons? What does the Bible say about demons? Well, demons, as the Bible describes, is the followers of Satan. They're the fallen angels that fell with Satan, as they rebelled against a good and holy God. And because of this, they're cast out of heaven, out of God's presence, and they make it their goal to continue to rebel against him, causing evil to all those who are made in his image, causing great destruction wherever they can. They come to harm, divide, and they strive to destroy all people. And it's quite odd to think about demons in the 21st century, you know, like, especially here in the West, I think horror movies have really just jaded our understanding of these things. Perhaps even due to these movies, we think that this spiritual realm is, is fiction or just irrelevant. Some of you might be sitting here today not even convinced that there are demons at all. It might be easy to simply just kind of dismiss this story as something that his followers told way back then, having very little bearing in our lives today. We hardly even hear about demon possessions. 
In fact, most of us will probably never even see something like this happen, not in the ways at least the story describes. However, in this passage, I think it's trying to communicate to us that there is, in fact, more than meets the eye. There's something that is more than material and physical, but truly spiritual. There is something beyond this world that cannot be understood through empirical science, something beyond our five senses. There is more than meets the eye, as the saying goes. And yes, we might not really see um, these type of demon possessions um, in the ways, again, the story describes, but we do see from Scripture that there is a conflict as Paul would describe it, a a spiritual warfare raging on even today as we sit together. The devil is at work. Where there is suffering and destruction, where there is brokenness and sin, we can expect that the devil is indeed at work. He's seeking a, a foothold in every possible place. But how do we see um, the devil work in our lives? Well, some wonder about the relationship between devil possession and, and mental illness, physical illnesses, uh, outbursts of anger, or certain types of epilepsy. And, and the Bible, in various places, identifies these things with demon possession or oppression. Um, but we need to be very careful here to, to simply claim that all of these instances are, are devil possessions and oppressions, I think would be quite unri- unwise. Um, but yes, on the other hand, we do want to uphold that um, the, the, the type of harm that comes in our world is, is, is the devil's work. It creates in, he creates these things in and through us. He afflicts us in a broken world. And in our text today, we see two individuals who've been oppressed and afflicted in some ways that have caused them to become what, the, what this passage describes as fierce, or as some translations will put it, extremely violent. In the Gospel of Mark, he mentions that these demon-possessed men are crying out, cutting themselves. And not only do we see harm being afflicted in, upon themselves, but they're also alienated. They're cast off, excommunicated from society. The actual town of Gadara, where if Jesus were to actually go there, is, is several miles away from the shore. They were outcasts from general society. They were stripped of their families, of their friends, of their whole entire lives. They were left hopeless and despairing of their situation, hurting themselves away from family, no plans to see them again. It's also interesting that it's described as these these demon-possessed men are living in tombs, almost as if they were dead, ready to die. Just just over a year ago, um, my dad passed away and he, he received surgery on his heart. Um, and I remember the last day that I was able to spend time with him, he was in the hospital still recovering. And, and I was translating for him. My, the doctor was telling me that he would be home by tomorrow. And, and I was telling my dad that, and he was quite overjoyed. And we, we were both ha- very happy. But later that night, I, I, I was woken up by a phone call from the hospital telling me, delivering the news that my dad had passed away. And I hung up and an instant remembered thinking, God, why? The surgery went well. He was looking a lot better. He was supposed to come home. And I think probably one of the first times in my life, I actually began really doubting God's goodness, 
God's grace, doubting in God's love, I felt quite hopeless and in despair. I think moments like these, we really see just how Satan is prowling about, ready to pounce. He calls God into question. He masquerades in ways to deceive us. He tempts us to doubt in God's commands and his promises. He tempts us to doubt in God's goodness and grace. And we have all experienced this type of suffering, right, by the devil. Many of us struggle with illnesses and diseases, death of family members, friends, great, great evils, leaving us to ponder and question a good God. How could he allow such things? We've all experienced something of this sort. Death and destruction, they're, 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 those are things that are quite familiar to us. They are near. And the devil truly does not sleep. He tempts us in so many ways, causing us to doubt in God, leaving us to be a people without hope. The only thing left, I think, for us to do, and I think much of society has gone this way, is to just participate in positive thinking, to look on the bright side, sugarcoating real sufferings of, of, to being not, too, not that bad. But that only works for so long. We are left hopeless and despairing unless someone were to intervene. And the good news is in our story that God does, in fact, intervene. Jesus enters these two individuals' lives. He, in a strange way, is already known by these demons. They regard him as the son of God. Jesus never have met these demons before, never have interacted with them. It's almost like Jesus had some sort of street cred in the spiritual realm. Not only is he known, but he's also feared. The demons tremble at Jesus' appearance. They cry out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? These demons know their fate. They know that they will be defeated one day. There will be a day where they will be completely destroyed and cast off away from God's people. They also beg Jesus in verse 31 that if, he is, if Jesus is going to cast them out, they said, send us away to the herd of pigs. You can almost just picture these demons on their knees, begging, pleading with the Lord, like a man pleading for his life when threatened with death. He is known, he's feared, but he's also obeyed. Just one word, go, cast them out. The demons have no questions to ask. They do exactly what Jesus tells them to do, almost like those who've been conquered by a king made into slaves. And to illustrate this, I'd like to share a story. In grade four or five, I, I went to a, a summer camp with a few of my church friends, and one of my friends was getting bullied. And I remember seeing him off in the distance with, with a group of kids around him laughing at him. And I, and I thought I'd be the good friend. I'd come over, you know, defend my friend. Hey, don't mess with my boy. If you mess with him, you'll mess with me. But in the end, I ended up getting bullied as well. And in the midst of the name-calling and in the bullying, I remember my friend just started yelling, I have a brother. He knows Taekwondo. Don't mess with us or else you'll have to mess with him. And these bullies, little did they know, this brother, this older brother, was actually at the camp as well. And he was a bigger kid. He actually knew Taekwondo. And at one glance at this brother, they stopped talking to us. They stopped bullying us. 
We too have an older brother. We have someone that defends us and delivers us from bullying. If I could use that analogy. Jesus is this older brother who delivers us from the tyranny of Satan. He, uh, he stops the oppression and the affliction upon our lives. Just like how these two individuals have finally been liberated, free to have life. This is the power that's been given to us in some ways through Jesus Christ in his work. Right? This power is for you. And this is the power and authority that Jesus has. And Satan, even though he prowls about, we do not need to fear. Because Christ defends us as our king, he reminds us that Satan's reign in this world will come to an end one day. There will be a day where suffering will truly, in fact, be no more. And finally, at the end of this um, section of our, of our text, um, Jesus is, is told to leave. He's actually begged to leave. The, 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 the herdsmen with, with their um, herds of pigs, um, they, all, they all drown themselves, and they're more concerned about you know, their livelihoods, their wealth, their comforts. And the city knows exactly what happened. They go and tell the city. But instead of being in awe of, of Christ's liberating power, they tell Jesus to leave. And that's what Jesus does. He leaves. And this is the type of power that Christ frees us from, from the powers without. But now let's turn our attention to how he heals us from the powers within. Our story continues. Jesus now makes his way back to his hometown, Capernaum. Upon arriving, he's confronted with people waiting for him. There is a group of friends that come to Jesus in faith with their paralytic friend, expecting a healing. However, to their surprise, Jesus claimed to have forgiven his sins. For Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. You can just hear Christ's love and compassion just overflowing in this text. Right? He reassures the paralytic that he ought not to worry, to take heart. He regards him as his child, my son. The tone that Jesus speaks in is, is just almost like a, a loving father to his child. However, the scribes begin to say to themselves that Jesus is blaspheming. And rightfully so. They're right to claim that human beings cannot actually forgive sins. Only God can. But they just did not recognize who they are speaking about, who stands in front of them. It's quite ironic that these scribes who have been trained to know the Old Testament scriptures through and through could not recognize the Messiah whom they have been waiting for standing in front of them. And the greater irony is, is that these demons are the ones that actually recognize who Jesus is. But those who should have known do not. I think this should serve as a type of warning for us who have grown up in the church. You know, we've, we've read our Bibles, we've gone to church, these, these stories are very familiar to us. And many times we're obsessed with good and sound doctrine. But can we actually say that we know Christ? I find that sometimes we equate knowing about Christ to, to knowing Christ. Just like how one might say that they know about Leonardo DiCaprio, knowing that he's 48 years old, he's an actor, and he's in the movies Inception and Shutter Island. We equate that to knowing. Knowing him perhaps as a friend or a family member or so on. 
These scribes knew about the coming Messiah, but they did not actually know him, which ultimately leads them to think evil in their hearts, claiming that Jesus is truly a blasphemer. Jesus, knowing that these conversations are happening, we see his response in verses 4 to 6. He challenges them. What is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And to answer this question, it's much easier to say to someone your sins are forgiven than actually to, to make a paralytic person rise and walk. To forgive someone doesn't actually require physical evidence, but healing a paralytic does. Anyone can claim to be a millionaire, but if they cannot afford to go out and eat, I think that's clear evidence that they are in fact a liar. Forgiving someone does not need physical evidence, but telling a paralytic to walk does. And I, I hope that makes sense. And it's interesting, here in our story, Jesus does both. He forgives and he heals. The visible healing that is granted to this paralytic man's life is proof of the invisible healing of this man's sins in his life. And Jesus, I think here, is really going after the fundamental problem of the human condition, sin itself. It's not just the, the being paralyzed, but it's sin. And this is true for all of us today. The fundamental problem is sin. You might even say that the paralysis is a symptom of, of the, this disease of sin. And we might not be paralytics, but we're all looking to be healed some ways. We desire healing from perhaps a certain addiction, causing many issues in our homes and relationships. We desire healing from, from deep, burdensome insecurities that linger and reside within us. Maybe just loneliness, longing for community. And of course, for many of us, perhaps, we might be desiring to actually be healed of, of, of physical, mental ailments that we've been diagnosed with, all of which I think our text is trying to argue are symptoms of this greater issue, that being sin. Imagine going to the doctor's office and telling him that you're feeling quite unwell. You're experiencing headaches, dizziness, chest pains, and shortness of breath. And they begin to monitor your blood pressure. And they find out that your blood pressure is extremely high. It's through the roof. You can just see the expression on his face, just so shocked. And he turns to you and he says, I can't believe that you're even able to walk. But now imagine, after all that commotion, all he tells you is to take some Tylenol to help with those headaches. I think here Jesus truly does understand that the paralysis that this man is experiencing is a symptom of a deeper issue of sin. He does not prescribe something that can just simply help with his headaches or paralysis, but he's really going after the deeper issue of blood pressure, the sin. And I think it's important to note here that it is wrong to suggest that this man's sin caused paralysis. I don't think we should go that far. Rather, it's because of the general human rebellion against God that brokenness of, of any and every kind is in our world. You know, we all suffer the consequences of living in a fallen world, a world that have turned against God. We all need to be cured of sin and its effects. And Jesus here is suggesting that he is the cure. He claims that he is the son of man, 
This is language found in the Old Testament. Daniel 7, 13 to 14, Daniel has a vision. He sees a son of man coming to the ancient of days. Son of man is being described as has been given dominion, glory, and, and all kingdoms, all peoples, nations, languages will serve him. He's described to have an everlasting dominion or his kingdom cannot be destroyed. Jesus is claiming that he is that son of man. He is the one who comes with authority and this type of power, a power to actually forgive sins. He is the remedy the cure. And this is the type of healing this paralytic man receives. And these very words that's been given to him is also given to us as well. Take heart, my child. Your sins are forgiven. The climactic point, I think, in Jesus' earthly ministry, really is his whole ministry of his power and of his authority is displayed in the cross of Christ. It is upon that cross we see Christ defeating Satan through his death and resurrection. It is upon that cross we see the forgiveness of sins. He forgives us as he dies for you. And as Isaiah would put it, by his wounds we are healed. Even though Satan is working to destroy us, even though we continually struggle with sin in this world and experiences the consequences of sin, we have great hope, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ. He rules and reigns over these powers. He is a God that is for you. Although we experience the devil's destruction here and now in this world, great suffering and anguish, what Jesus is doing here in these stories is truly a foretaste of the freedom and the healing that we have, the liberty that is for you, that will be experienced in the day that these demons know is coming. Satan and his followers counts down their time here on earth, knowing that they will experience the full wrath and the judgments of God. But for you and I, the church, count down our time here on earth, knowing full well that there will be a day where Satan will be no more. That he, he won't have any dominion and power over us. There will be a day where sin and the struggle of sin will be no more. And friends, in light of Christ's deliverance for you, I would like to ask a question. Will you respond like the Gadarenes telling Jesus to leave? Will you tell him to leave by being more concerned about your livelihoods, your wealth, your securities, your comforts? Or will you be afraid? And I think a better translation here is awestruck, left in wonder and awe, giving to God the praise, and the worship he deserves. How will you respond? Let's pray. Father, it is in Christ we experience true freedom and true healing from the powers without, from the powers within. Father, Lord, we ask that you might Transform us in, in a way to be a people that can further know and to hope in your deliverance in these ways. To understand that really the, the hope lies in, in eternity and the hope is given to us today. Help us to be a people that carefully thinks about these decisions. Help us to be led to, to knowing you and choosing you as your spirit works in our lives. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.